Welcome to the podcast for Centerpoint Church. Located in the heart of Concord, New Hampshire, Centerpoint is all about living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus. The message today is a part of that journey, and we are glad to have you join us. All right. Let's get the house sunshine up high, too. This is great, right? So we bask in the sunshine. I hope you all wore your sunscreen and just enjoy the glow. All right? Here we are. Um, I'm trying to look for Lydia. Where are you seated? Up. We, 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 she won. She went up top. So uh, it's, today, is, today is the day of Lydia's birthday. Can everybody just say, hey, happy birthday, Lydia. All right, she turns 27 and uh, is good to go. She owns her brothers. It's part of the birthday thing. You got to do whatever she says, guys. That's just the way the birthday works. All right. Um, here we are. It is, it is good for us to be together. And uh, gosh, I just want to share a, a little story that somebody shared with me last week. Uh, Jimmy came up after the, the message last week and he shared just some of the stuff that God has been shaping in him. And so he was telling the story, and I love the, he brought this, this passion, this smile on his face. Uh, Jimmy's got an infectious smile anyway, but he says, he says, like, I, I think I'm doing it, right? Because we've been talking about how do we let beautiful feet, not because what they look like, but where they take us, and that uh, beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. And so he's like, I think I'm doing this. And Jimmy's only been walking with the Lord for a couple years. He was baptized a couple years ago, and so this has just been awesome to see him grow. And so he was talking about after the week before he had left uh, the service and was driving down Main Street and noticed a little bit of the commotion over here. And you probably maybe read some articles in the paper, the commotion around teetotalers and all that, right? Uh, through the alleyway over here. And so he was just curious what was going on. He wasn't like looking to be in on anything, but just was curious what was going on. So we pulled over and uh, walked into the alley. And uh, if, if you didn't read the stories, uh, Teetotalers was doing some programming there. And then uh, there were some people protesting it. And the people who were protesting it are, are known, a known group of, of neo-Nazis. And so they were like doing the whole thing and all of that. And so he was just really curious what was going on. So he, one of the guys there began to engage him. And um, uh, Jimmy just lovingly engaged. Like, whoa. What's, what's going on? And the guy like tried to get him to get into whatever was going on. He's like, nah, I'm not, not, not doing that. But I'm just wondering what it is that makes you feel like you need to do this. Um, and so what I loved is, Jimmy, you're just asking some great questions. Like you just kind of let out with questions. You weren't there to, to do, make a point or anything like that, but you were just there to, to, to ask some questions and to engage with a person. And so they began to have some of this conversation. And when somebody else was walking by, they were kind of counter protest. You kind of lose track of who's protesting, counter protest, and the double counter protest and that kind of thing. And so it was one of the counter protesters was there and, and she shouts out to Jimmy and she says, uh, don't bother. Nobody ever changes. You can't change them. And Jimmy's response was like, well, the Holy Spirit can do a lot. She's like, well, get, don't, don't even bother with it. He's like, well, the Holy Spirit changed me, and I know how God changed me, and so God can reach anybody. I loved that response, because he just, it wasn't, uh, again, shouting back in anybody's face or anything, but just saying, God changed me. God can change anybody. Let's see what he might do. 
right? And I just loved that. And I was so inspired, Jimmy, as you shared that story with me last week and affirming over and over again. Yep, yep, that's what we're talking about. You're doing it. And, and I know a bunch of you are finding your way into to taking some of these courageous steps to engage the world around you and your feet are getting more and more beautiful by the week uh, as we take this journey together. But this is, this is what it looks like for us to live in the world um, where God has got us. Because uh, he's got us where he has us on purpose, uh, with intention. And so we get to live in that place. So thank you for sharing that story with me and giving me permission to share at least a bit of it with uh, church family here. It's a pretty cool, pretty cool story. And so like the story we're going to look at today in scripture, um, this is a story like there would have been plenty of people who would have shouted at the main character of our story today and said, don't bother, he won't change, he can't change, right? But what we learn is that God's Holy Spirit is really powerful. And when Jesus shows up, a lot changes. Some changes, some doesn't change. But that's what we're going to explore here today. And I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 9. Now, again, we're going kind of unplugged this morning, a little bit different than normal. So the scripture is not going to be on the screens. So use your phone. Uh, pull out the, uh, a lot of the seat pockets in front of you have Bibles. Uh, so you can pull one of those out. Look at a paper Bible or you can use your phone. Look on with your neighbor. If you're using one of the burgundy uh, Bibles from the seat pocket in front of you, I think we're looking for like page 890, I think is where we'd find Acts chapter 9. Um, we good? Is that the right page? Bob says it's the right page. Excellent. All right, parents, kind of help your kids find your way in there. You know, if they need some help, parents, help your kid, or kids, help your parents find their way in there, right? You're doing good. So we're looking at Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read the first 19 verses together. We've been introduced to this guy. His name has come across our attention a little bit, uh, but now we're going to do a deep dive and really get to know this guy named Saul. All right. And at this point of the story, he is not a hero of the story. He is Darth Saul at this point. Like he is not the good guy here. Um, But this is a really significant encounter with Jesus. So uh, I'm going to read it out loud. You follow along in whatever version of the Bible that you've got there. And then when I'm done reading, like we've been doing the past several weeks, I just want to hear from you on what are the things that surface up for you? What are the things that you notice? And we'll get to chat about it a little bit. All right. So, uh, so here we go. Uh, Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Meanwhile, right, so the story continues. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's what they called the people who followed Jesus, And he belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind, and he did not eat or drink anything. Now in Damascus, there was a disciple 
named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Makes sense, I guess. Said his name. Yes, Lord, he answered. And the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man, listen, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Hmm, isn't that something? Let me pray for us. Father, as we engage your word together, uh, make it come alive through the power of your spirit. Help it to come alive for us. And, and us, through the power of your word and through the power of your spirit, help us to come alive. God, I pray that you would let the scales fall from our eyes that we might see. So often our eyes are just blind to what you're, you're showing us and blind to you. Um, but we don't want that. So help us to see. And so often our ears are deaf to you. We just don't hear. There's so much noise, the white noise around us, so we don't hear. But God, we don't want that. We want to hear. And so uh, help us to do that today. By the power of your spirit, open our ears. And God, we confess that there are times we come really stubborn. We want what we want, what we want, how we want it. But God, I pray that you would soften our stubborn hearts, that we might be good soil where the seed of your word will fall and grow and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Let it be so today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. What do you think? It's quite the story, isn't it? What are some of the things that you noticed as we read the story together? Can I speak up loud enough for me to hear? Yeah. Oh, yeah, God is gracious. Even when Ananias questioned God, God was still gracious in that, wasn't he? Yeah, good, thanks. Obedience. obedience. Say a little bit more. What, more. what about obedience? Yeah, yeah, the Lord spoke to him. And Ananias did it. We talked a little bit about that last week too. This faithful obedience is one of the ways that we see God, uh, we get to participate with God in his mission. And Ananias is another example of that faithful obedience, isn't he? Yep. Yeah, what, what did you notice, Iris? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great, Iris. Iris was talking about how um, uh, the, 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 the Lord spoke and Paul heard clearly what was going on here. The people around him heard, heard this noise but couldn't see anybody. Um, and, and there were also very explicit ways that God was calling Saul and ways that, that God would use Saul, right? God was really specific about it, particularly when you talk to Ananias. That's really good. Where, where, you, can you think about some other places where uh, there was a voice from heaven that spoke almost like thunder, but other people weren't sure what was going on, but it was for one person? Does that ring a bell to anybody? Jesus' baptism, exactly. Did you kind of notice some of that same thing? At Jesus' baptism, God was voiced from heaven, said, this is my son whom I love, I'm well pleased, do what he says. Uh, and so here, God uh, kind of affirms and does that same thing. Out of the light, the voice speaks. Of course, it's Jesus, not the Father. So we see some similarities in that. Yeah, it's really good. One or two more? What are some of the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Ananias, he had a sense of who, who Saul was. It was like, Lord, you're not going to pull a fast one on me. I know who this guy is. I've been reading the tweets. I've been seeing what's going on here. And um, he knew what was going on. And he had to even face some of his own fear in that, didn't he? Because, like, Lord, you got to understand, like, he's been ravaging your people back in Jerusalem, and he showed up here in Damascus to do the same thing here. And yet the Lord continued to, to push on that and, and drive him forward um, and Ananias' faithful obedience. That's really good. One more? Jesus said, I want to show him how much he was suffering. Oh, you, you saw that in there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that something? Now, when, when, and when Jesus uh, says to Ananias, I need to show him how much he's going to suffer, it wasn't, um, don't worry, Ananias, I got this. I'm going to squish him like a bug. Like, I'm going to get him back for all that he did. That's not what he was doing. He was, he was actually talking about the way, right, because it's called the way. This is the way of Jesus. Like, to follow him actually involves suffering. And so Saul was being drawn into this life and would do so through suffering. And of course, what we learn as like a little spoiler alert, uh, Saul, who changes his name down the road here a little bit to Paul, um, suffers a lot as the story unfolds. And it doesn't seem to shake him a beat, right? But here's even this piece. He's going to suffer and going to do it with intention. Yeah. So many of these great observations in this. And, and as we continue to process this a bit, one of the things that really stands out in this thread that's woven through here is, uh, and, and we're going to explore Saul's story, right? But, but some of the stuff that's going to feel really good to us, that, that's going to provide some wisdom for us, that we want to make sure that we proclaim together today, is that God will use where your feet have been to map out where your feet will go. Remember, we've talked about our feet are beautiful, not just because they're good looking, though, though Mike, you got some great feet, but it's, it's what the feet do. It's, it's the feet bringing good news that makes them, makes them beautiful. So whether you got bunions or hair or missing a toe or whatever, like it doesn't matter what they look like. It's what the feet do that's beautiful. And it's the feet that bring good news. And sometimes what we wrestle with is um, where our feet have been. 
And we kind of maybe think, well, where my feet have been, I've walked through some mud. I got dirty feet. Or where we've been, I've, I've made some choices and I've run through fields I ought not have run through. Or as we look back, we see that other people threw mud and stuff on our feet. And what we can do is we can think to ourselves, oh, because of where my feet have been, I'm excluded from where other people's feet get to go. But as we look at Saul's story here, listen into this whole thing and listen for this place where we can find some encouragement, where we can find challenge, where we can find some comfort is God will use where your feet have been to map out where your feet will go. And so we look at Saul's past, right? We're going to take a little look at Saul's past together. And no matter how bad the past may seem, let's remember that God can redeem all those things, right? No matter what lies behind, God redeems. I, I wasn't intending to, uh, to make a rhyme there, but it seemed to work. So we look at Paul's, or excuse me, Saul. I'm, I'm probably going to do that more than once, just kind of mix that up. But Saul, uh, Saul's early life. Right? These are some of the things that we get to know about him as his story unfolds. And we've got a, a pretty good sense about some of these pieces. Um, uh, both of his parents uh, were Jewish and they were living in Tarsus, which is up in uh, the area that is modern-day Turkey. Well, that's a little bit surprising, isn't it? Because sometimes we, we, we understand Paul to be a Jew among Jews, and we're going to get there in a second. But his birthplace was outside of Israel. But his parents were faithful Jews, um, and they were also Roman citizens. And so when Saul was born to them up there in what is modern-day Turkey... He, too, was born into a faithful Jewish family, but he received that Roman citizenship. And so it's just this really interesting thing where his feet are in sort of both worlds here. And so while he was born in Tarshish, um, he was born a Roman citizen, uh, they moved to Jerusalem, so he was raised in Jerusalem. And uh, we know that because he got into the education system, which required them getting there pretty young. So probably at least by five years old was when he, uh, his family moved to Jerusalem. Uh, we know that his whole family moved there because later in Acts, he actually references his sisters there in Jerusalem. And so his siblings were moved there as well. So that was the place where they actually grew up and uh, came into adulthood and, and settled in their life. And so... He moved uh, to Jerusalem uh, with his family, or his family moved him to Jerusalem. I doubt he had much say in it uh, as a young guy. And he got brought into the Jewish education system. And then uh, when the education system kind of finishes its course, it, like you do your primary schooling kind of a thing, and not, ever even, not everybody even got to do that. But then what would happen is these rabbis would draw you into their particular school of training uh, in, in their rabbinical methods and thoughts and theologies. And Saul was picked up by a guy named Gamaliel. He was a famous rabbi. He was trained by one of the most famous uh, rabbis. And so Paul was brought into this line of highly respected, 
um, popular. Like they, like it wasn't like this celebrity type of a thing, but but like everybody knew him. His his voice carried weight. Gamaliel's. This was the guy who picked up um, picked up Saul's training and brought him into. Uh, the class of Pharisees. So when we meet Saul, he's a Pharisee. Maybe he's a, a young man. He's young uh, and, and he's maybe a Pharisee intern, so to speak. But he is in the, the group of Pharisees and we know that he has been well trained. Now, you might remember the name Gamaliel. We read about him earlier. If you go back to Acts chapter 5, Gamaliel is talking to the Sanhedrin and listen to what he says in Acts chapter 5, and I'm just going to read a couple of verses there. He's, um, he's kind of trying to help the Sanhedrin, the ruling uh, Jewish rulers there, kind of say, just relax a little bit in persecuting the followers of Jesus, right? Let's just see what happens. Then look what he says, um, verse 30, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. This is Gamaliel talking. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. You remember when we talked about that? It was, it was several weeks ago. And so this was Gamaliel talking. Now with Saul, we see Gamaliel's disciple doing the exact opposite of that. So what we know about Saul is he was what we would call zealous. Zealous just doesn't the kind of generic passion, um, but it is passion for Torah. It is passion for the law. It is passion for uh, Yahweh. And Saul was somebody who was deeply zealous, so much so that he actually went against his mentor, his rabbi. How intense is that? Right? This is who Saul is. And don't we see this? So we see Saul on his way to Damascus. And who confronts him? Jesus. Jesus confronts him. What did his rabbi say in the speech to the rulers? He said, if this is of God, you're going to find yourself fighting God himself. That's exactly what happens. Saul is finding himself fighting the risen Lord Jesus himself. Here Saul is thinking he's the one bringing the energy to this thing. He's the one doing the right thing. But he finds that he is standing opposed to God himself. And then we see he takes up this intense persecution out of his zeal. Again, the first couple of verses there that we read today. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He was not looking to just slap their hands and moves on. He wasn't just giving them a written warning. He was breathing out murderous threats against the followers of Jesus. And so much so, he went to the high priest. He says, I'm going to take this show on the road. We're not just going to persecute those who are in Jerusalem. Normal Pharisees can do that. But we really zealous people. We're going to take this show on the road. He says, I'm going to go to Damascus. So give me a letter. I'll take it to the synagogue leaders there and do the same thing there that I've been doing here. And I'm going to haul them back here. Now, Damascus was not a hop, skip, and a jump away from Jerusalem. It, was, uh, it would take you a long time, uh, many days to walk there. So it was a long journey there. It wasn't like Jerusalem to Bethlehem or something like that. It was a very long journey uh, north. All right, And so this is where Saul was going to be going and was continuing to breathe out his murderous 
threats. And what we know, and I think you talked about this, Paul, not Saul, but Paul, and, um, you know, like they knew he was coming. They knew Saul was approaching. They knew what would happen when he got there. And so this persecution is going far and wide. This is a glimpse at Saul's past. It it, it seems to make him an unlikely character when it comes to serving the Lord and being one of the most prolific missionaries in all of Christianity. This was his past. If there was any past that would seem to circumvent God's mission, it would be this one. He was actively working against it. He wasn't just wandering through the periwinkle, minding his own business. He was act- actively working against Jesus and his mission. If anybody would be written off, it would be Saul. And yet there's a different future that God has for him. Saul's future. Saul's future was mapped out by God. See, God isn't surprised by anything. None of the stuff of who Saul was escaped God's attention. As we look at Saul's future, it became very clear. And again, some of you talked a little bit about this. Look at verse 15. The Lord said to Ananias, go, right? No, I mean it. You need to go. Said, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles, their kings, and to the people of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So look at those three things. And you look at how his past might connect to those pieces. He was God's chosen messenger to the Gentiles. He was born in a Gentile land, he had citizenship in a Gentile empire, Rome. Because of his birth. Like who he is. Where his feet have been set the table for how God would use him as his feet moved on. We see that he would stand before, proclaim the gospel of Jesus before kings. There's going to come a point where Saul, Paul, appeals to Caesar. And as a Roman citizen, he gets to appeal to Caesar. Now, this is a little bit different than how we often see this, even in our day. A lot of times in in our context, and here we are celebrating Independence Day weekend and this holiday and everything, right? Which, which Which is fantastic, but let's pay attention a little bit to this. What happens oftentimes is we claim our rights as U.S. citizens, right? It's our right in following Jesus, and it's what we claim for our own protection. Saul claims a right, but it is vastly different. It is for the purpose of standing before Caesar that he might proclaim the lordship of Jesus in Caesar's presence. The appeal to rights as citizens between Paul and what often we do is vastly different. I just think that's an interesting thing to process and to think through a little bit. And when we are people of the way, recognizing that we, like Saul, join a fraternity of the suffering, that's actually part of what happens as we follow Jesus. It's not uh, a bug, it's a feature because God is doing something in the midst of that. And so it challenges us even as we process these things and as we hear uh, Saul becomes Paul and he makes claims before Caesar. And God is using him to lay those claims so that he might stand before Caesar who himself claims divinity. 
He stands before Caesar that he might proclaim Jesus is Lord. Isn't that remarkable? And that's this whole journey of how God works in Saul, Paul's life to get him to that point. So he will proclaim the gospel before Gentiles, before their kings, and even before Israel. Here he is. He's a man, a Jew among Jews. Listen to how he describes this. You can find some of his um, uh, resume in uh, Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. He's actually making the point larger here that, um, that nobody really has claims to the flesh. It's, it's not going to get you what you think it's going to get you. But he's describing his own confidence. Uh, uh, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, second part of verse 4. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Here's his little CV. Circumcised on the eighth day, check. Of the people of Israel, check. Tribe of Benjamin, Check. A Hebrew of Hebrews, check. In regard to the law, a Pharisee, check. As for zeal, persecuting the church, right, check. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. This is who he is. He can stand among Jews and hold his head high. And here he is, what he's also saying as we read in Philippians is all of it, amounts to nothing. This is this message of the gospel of Jesus that he's bringing even to Israel. All this stuff that we cling to and hold to amounts to nothing. So can you begin to see, can you begin to see how where his feet have been, God actually uses for where his feet will go. And at the point that we meet Saul here, he doesn't know that's where his feet are going. He's just in the middle of this whole thing, this this torrential conversion that's taking place here. For you see, it's, it's not us that makes the difference. It's not us who redeems where our feet have been in order to see where our feet will go. It's a work of the Lord. It's a work of God. And that, that we must make no mistake about in Saul's life and in ours. And so look at how the Lord confronts Saul here, it's this road to Damascus. Like I said, it's a, it's a long road. They'd been traveling for days. <clears throat> and what we, we understand from this is he was almost to Damascus. He'd made most of the trip. He was almost there, but not quite there. And then a light shines from the heavens. <clears throat> and again, this is something that's, that's woven into the story that ought to cue us in to who's really showing up here. When we see light from heaven... We see it as God. That's how God shows up. That's how he showed up in the very beginning. We see this in the first couple of chapters of Genesis. This is how God shows up. Shows up as the light of all lights. And as the story unfolds, when we see a light from heaven, it's not a UFO. It's not somebody shining a light from their backyard. This light from heaven cues us in and says, this is God. God is light. And it's this encounter with Jesus. He says it right there. And if you've got the paper Bible, it's got the red letter stuff. This is Jesus talking. It's showing us there. Right? So he says, uh, verse, uh, verse 4, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? 
I mean, it's going to be a little bit startling. Let that sink in for just a second. It, it's a little bit startling. You just got knocked to the ground and you hear this voice that calls out your name by name. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Like if some coming at that level of power with me, my first response is, whoa, whoa, hold it. I'm not persecuting you. Like you got the wrong guy. Like not, no Saul here. I'm just um, Ishmael. No Saul here, right? I've been denying that thing as fast as I possibly could. Paul leans in and he says, who are you? And then we get the answer. Who is it? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Yeah, I've been doing that. And that's you. The light from heaven. This is your voice. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Jesus makes it clear that he is the one who is showing up. He is the one who is stopping Saul dead in his tracks, knocking him to his feet. And in this moment, Saul understands that he has become a witness of the resurrected Christ. See, the encounter with Jesus draws into the reality that now Saul is witness of the resurrection and the resurrected Christ. He's seen him for himself. And then he goes on. As he gets up and tries to get his bearings about him, Verse 8 says, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So those who were with him led him by the hand into Damascus. Look at verse 9. It says, for three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So as you see that, blindness, darkness, As you see that, you hear he was blind. He was in the darkness for three days. Does that ring a bell to you at all? When was the last time you read about somebody who was in darkness for about three days? Jesus, right? And so here's Jesus appearing to him and then immediately drawing him into death. Like that's what darkness is. Darkness is death. Blindness is death. And Jesus is drawing him into this. That's so different than what we've seen Jesus do before, isn't it? Every other accounting of Jesus engaging somebody who was blind, he made them better. He opened their eyes. And now in this confrontation with Jesus, his eyes are sealed, are closed. Notice when he meets with Ananias, what it said it was like when he received his sight, it was like scales fell off of his eyes. Right? So again, as we read the story, the notion of scales ought to do something for us. It ought to lead us back somewhere because the authors and the readers of this original story knew where this came from. One of the first places that we saw scales in the story of God back in Genesis 3. 
And the serpent was more crafty than all the other animals. Right? And so there is a, a way of the world, there is a, a way, a snaky way to live in this world. And what we're learning here is that snaky way of living, doing what was right, what he was driven by his own zeal, that snaky way of living blinded him, made him blind. And what is the blindness? Not just mere blindness. It was death. Notice he was in the dark for three days. He didn't eat or drink. Eating and drinking, that's life. But he didn't have that. See, when Jesus captures people, he draws them into death. Why? So that they can emerge on the other side alive. That's the way of Jesus. Jesus, as Messiah, representing all of humanity, entered into death and came out the other side victorious. That's where the resurrected life is. That's where the new life is. And what Paul will explain a number of times in the letters that he's going to write is the pathway of the way. The pathway of Jesus is always into death to leave behind that which hinders, to leave behind that which is snaky and scaly, that we might enter into new life, the life of the resurrection. Jesus' resurrection was just the first of what will be many yet to come. And so the promise of this new life is lived out in resurrection Ultimately, a new heaven, new earth, and then you and I, by faith, entering into this new life forever, eternal life, resurrection life. And so here's Paul, Saul, see, I told you I would do that. Here's Saul living this thing out and Jesus drawing him in, into death, that he might come through it out the other side of life, which is what happens. That's where Ananias comes in. God speaks to Ananias, says, guy named Saul, he's going to be waiting for you. Here's where you find him. Go over on State Street. Straight Street. Straight Street. And you'll find him there. So Ananias lays his hands on him that he might see and then baptizes him that he might receive the Holy Spirit. What a moment. Right? Because in that place, the scales fall off, the new life comes. There was death on the road to Damascus and there's life, resurrection life as Ananias lays his hands on him. Isn't that incredible? Like this is the encounter of what it means. This is what it means to have this encounter with Jesus. And while you and I aren't Saul, you and I don't, aren't going to write scripture and those kinds, like we, we can set ourselves apart from some of that. But the way of Jesus is the way of Jesus. And the way of Jesus for everybody is into death that we might know life. And doesn't that feel backwards? Because we spend so much of our energy avoiding death. Avoiding the suffering, avoiding the pain. When Jesus is saying, trust me, I'm going to lead you right through it and we're going to come out the other side together. That's where life is found. And so when we suffer for the cause, when we suffer in the way of Jesus, and it can take lots of different shapes, it isn't we must be doing it wrong, it's the way it goes. When we suffer for bearing witness to who Jesus is, his life, death, resurrection, and enthronement, that Jesus is Messiah and Lord. As we bear witness to who he is, suffering will come with that. Loss of relationships, loss of income, for some even loss of life. But that suffering is the way that happens, that into death, that we might be freed and come out the other side, tasting the goodness of resurrection. 
Though in this place we still live in a world that has, uh, where, where the kingdom of heaven has broken in, but it has not yet culminated. And so we still live in pretty earthy bodies. And we have to contend with snaky impulses and bodies still to this day. But the life through the Holy Spirit, the life of Christ is alive in us. The resurrection is alive in us. And this is the power that we have to live and follow and serve him. All of our days. Knowing that there will be a day, whether we are called up to meet him in the air or whether it's from the ground and we meet him from there, that we will receive our resurrected bodies and live with him in eternal life in new heaven, new earth. This is the hope that we have. And all that hope is planted right here in this encounter that we have with, between Saul and Jesus and even through Ananias. And so we go back again. God will use where your feet have been. Where have your feet been? We don't ask that as a, where have your feet been? Don't touch that. You don't know where it's been. That's not, where have your feet been? Say, oh, I got some dirty feet. Mm Mm-hmm. But where your feet have been, God will use that. God will use where your feet have been to map out where your feet will go. For some, you think about where your feet have been and it is the struggle, it's the dirty feet. And you're like, oh. But you think about how God uses that. The relationships that you have, the, the, the conversations that you get to have with people who are far from him as his ambassador and missionary because of where your feet have been. Some of you have been trained in um, certain uh, skills and jobs. And you think to yourself, well, this is just my job, this is what I do. No, that's your mission field. That's your mission. Who, how he has trained you is a part of how he maps where your feet are going. So your, your teachers, you've been trained. That's a part of where your feet have been. It points to where your feet are going. You're in business. You've been trained in business. God uses that. You've been trained as a plumber or electrician. God uses that, right? All these ways, whether it's the, through the suffering, through the ugh of muddiness on our feet, or whether it's even through the celebrations and the victories, where our feet have been, God uses that to map out where our feet will go. And the deciding characteristic is not our control. The deciding feature of this is not what we do and our intention to redeem. But the deciding factor in this is Jesus. He is the one who redeems. He is the one who charts a course. So often I hear speakers in uh, Christian world right now kind of talking about a future in terms of get your dreams, chase your dreams, grab your dreams, dreams. God has got you and he's going to help you fulfill the dream that you have. And honestly, there's a lot of bunkum in that because we get so wrapped up in what my dream is, what my dream is, that we're blinded, we're blinded to the very heart of God. It's not about me accomplishing my dream. It's about me in humble submission following where he points my feet. Walking where he directs me to walk. Speaking what he directs me to say. It's his vision for the world. It's his mission for the world, not my own. And what we find is that as we align ourselves with him in humble submission, our passion for him will only grow. So what are the big three for us today? Big three, we're going to 
put them in our pockets for us. One of the things for us today, and again, they're not going to be on the screen. We're just unplugged today. Big three, number one, trust that your past is not a waste. Trust that your past is not a waste. Big three, number two, submit your past to Jesus. Part of that means owning it. Some of that means for some of us unpacking the bags. Sometimes we carry bags. We, we pretend that we don't, so we kind of put it on a bungee cord, hook it up to our belt and drag it because we try to pretend that it's not there. But if we're going to submit our past to him, for some of us, there's just some real work of unpacking that thing, doing so with wisdom and godliness in community. So submit your past to Jesus. Stop hiding it from him. Stop hiding it even from yourself. Big three, number three, walk on with the feet that Jesus gave you. Walk on with the feet that Jesus gave you. It may not always make sense in a moment, but if you begin to see where your feet have been, you can grow and trust that God will use where your feet have been to map out where your feet will go. And that's how we join him on his mission. Again, we're not Saul. God uses him in a very unique way. But there are principles here. There are ways that we can see this and see what God is doing that we too might be drawn into his life and his mission. And that, my friends, is life. Let's pray. Jesus, build your life in us that we might know you and see you. Redeem that which we offer you in humility because that is what you do. Out of death comes life and we are so hungry for that life. So lead us in the way of life. You went first and you draw us in. We won't fear the death because we know as we come through it with you, we will know life eternal. So lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Stand with me if you would. All right, we are just about ready for hot dogs, but before we go, a couple things. One, you might be here today and, um, and you have never tasted the goodness of God's life. You have never tasted the freedom of new life. Maybe you even understand that today you walk around with snaky blind eyes and you're just so hungry to see. You can come to that new life today. Our prayer team's gonna be right up here. Just come up and say, I want Jesus. We'll take it from there and walk you through so you might know this new life today before you go. If you've never made that decision, you can do that today, all right? And the rest of us, maybe a lot of us, bear the mark of his grace. Walk with him. Trust him with your past. And as you go, may you know his love. May you know his peace. May you know his joy. May you know his power to redeem and transform. And above all else, may you know his life. Thanks for being here. Let's continue to celebrate together. Move it over to the South Wing for some hot dogs and stuff and get to hang out together. Otherwise, we'll see you next week right here at 10 o'clock. Take care, everybody.
take a little bit to stop and reflect on what God might be saying to you and how you'll respond to him today. Wherever you are on your journey of faith, we are here to serve you. Find us at centerpointnh.org and join us on the journey of living and sharing a life-changing relationship with Jesus.